0: Hi, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazil, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. So, Jale, how was your holiday? It was lovely. I went to Cornwall. It was yeah, it was a splendid time. Apart from. The seagulls there are absolutely
1: vicious. Oh, have you really? been? I've been to Cornwall, yeah, but I have a thing about seagulls I actually hate seagulls with a passion. They they're... dive bomb, really, for yeah. those chips. For those chips, for those snack.
0: pasties. <laughs> for those ice creams. Uh, which ice cream. Which is so weird, yeah. I had to I was having an ice cream and I had to stand with my back to the harbour wall and like have someone else like scan <gasps> the skies because they're so beady eyed and oh they will gosh. come for you.
1: They are actually horrible. I remember when we went to a Broadstairs, like, I think it was maybe two years ago. They're actually mental there in Broadstairs because it was, like, the hottest day of the year or something. And so many people pack onto that beach. So they really know. And everyone like eats ground. their... Hunting ground. Yeah, everyone eats their sandwich or their fish and chips. And <laughs> I was eating half of my Marks and Spencers. Um, I think it was, it was chicken and avocado sandwich that I bought at Victoria Station. <laughs> Fun details to be there. And a seagull, like swooped on me basically <gasps> and knocked the literally knocked no. the sandwich clean out of my hand onto the ground and then it and its friends dived onto <laughs> the sandwich His and friend. ate it literal cannibal seagulls yeah because chicken chicken oh God, they yeah, ate eating the chicken. one of their fellow birds and some avocado which i would not think a seagull would like personally.
0: that's scandalous and vile they're horrible though they're so big they're absolutely huge literally it's like, it's like and they sort of swagger around a bit they're unapologetic, which obviously birds don't have to be apologetic, but I think I'm very used to pigeons. Yeah, who are scared they'll yeah, jump out of the way. The exactly. seagull will not jump out of the way, will it? No, it'll stand its ground. Anyway, so it was lovely, but also scary. What's been interesting you recently, Connie? Well, um, recently I've seen the new hashtag of hashtag
1: secondhand September. I mean we're actually well into September now so this is kind of old news but it's still going on it's mm. ongoing. <laughs>
0: um
1: and this hashtag is basically encouraging people to only buy second hand clothes in September.
0: Is that vintage or
1: charity shops or both? I think both. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, I think mm. any kind of second hand. Um so yeah, people are I I think a lot of people are encouraging like charity shops because then obviously the money goes to charity but mm. Um, Also Depop, stuff at eBay, Um, you can go for those. It's a lot of options. Um, Yeah, so this is kind of in response to the whole backlash against fast fashion, Mm. which we've seen a lot over probably the last year, maybe Mm. two years. Um, uh, A statistic that I have is that every single week, 13 million items of clothing end up in UK landfill and 336,000 tonnes of used clothing are sent to landfill each year.
0: The the stats are phenomenal. It's crazy. Whenever I read about it, I'm just overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, because honestly, before a few, I mean, probably six months ago, I didn't realise that clothing ended up in the bin. Yeah. I didn't realise that it was, like, an environmental issue at all. Yes. So it does really shock me every time I see things. Um, And especially with the kind of, the the rise in popularity of brands, fast fashion brands like Boohoo, Mm. um, misguided, Pretty Mm. Little Thing um yeah for anyone who doesn't know the idea of fast fashion is basically it's like cheap mm. um fashion that you wear a couple of times and then you dispose of yeah so for a night out mm. you buy a new outfit and then you get rid of it because mm. you're not going to wear it again um and especially with brands like boohoo where sometimes a dress will be like five pounds six pounds yeah. the quality probably won't be very good so but it
0: is cheap that's the it thing is cheap, yeah you so get what you pay for well but. exactly but equally i mean if that's what if that's what you can afford for an eye out, mm-hmm. and it looks good for like, that duration of time, you can see why it's so appealing. Hundred percent. For then... students, for young people, exactly. Like us. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you feel about second hand clothes? Well, <laughs>
1: personally, I'm not the best. Like, I'm not the best person to talk about it in terms of. Like, I don't have a squeaky clean record of buying loads of second hand clothes. <laughs> I I don't love charity. I don't mind charity shops. I don't love vintage shops because mm-hmm. I do feel like they smell like so many
0: so many people say (laughs) they so many people have an issue with the smell and it is true
1: they have a specific it's not necessarily a horrible smell but it's just like a secondhand clothing smell and I don't love it Mm. and I do I know it's a a, like a universal thing but you have to work harder in charity shops and vintage shops to find things that you like and things are in your size and like things like it's just more difficult to find it because it's yeah. not a whole rack of one t-shirt that you like the color of yeah. whatever in multiple sizes it is just a bit more hard work and i'm just probably lazy to be honest <laughs> um but i have recently started selling clothes on Depop because i moved house so i wanted to get rid of things and i think that has kind of brought me round. To secondhand clothing a bit more mm. because I think the slight problem I have with it is that I think of it as like dead people's clothes. That sounds really. <laughs> sorry, that sounds really gross, but because obviously when people die, a lot yes. of the time you just no, it's put a charity shop. And I don't like I just find it a bit creepy thinking yeah. that you're wearing something I don't know. But then Depop because you can see that it's like a right. girl our age kind of thing. Yeah, modelling her like top shop trousers. I don't feel as weird about it. But That's I know running. I just have to go over that. Yeah. And I haven't bought anything yet in September, bought any clothing. And I'm going to try and pledge not to buy oh. <laughs> any first-hand clothes. Oh, so make a public statement. You heard it now here Now i first. it out there. Stick to it. <laughs> it's kind of bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but if anyone is interested, I've got a few Instagram accounts that you could, like, go for a little stalk um, and see if it interests you. So a few infor- there's a few informative accounts about, like, fast fashion and... Um, and slow fashion, which is now the kind of like alternative. Mm. Um, so stories behind things is a good Instagram as well as remember who made them, which is it's about fast fashion, but it's like focused a bit more on the manufacturing. So it'll be like making sure that your um, people are getting fa- paid fair wages, which is actually another thing that we haven't even touched on mm. about fast fashion that um, often the people that make it are not yeah. earning a fair wage as well as like trashes for tossers. A good Instagram, then uh Venetia Lamanna as well is really good. She posts like informative stuff as well as her own fashion mm. choices, and then a couple of people like Harmony Youngs and Chloe Helen Miles are really good for like fashion inspiration because they choose the slow fashion mm. options. Um, so Harmony Youngs is like wearing always vintage yeah. clothes, and she has more of a vintagey style. So it's quite nice to get inspiration if you're thinking about mm. that. And then Chloe Helen Miles I quite like because she has a very, um, like normal everyday jeans and a nice top yeah. style. But she chooses, um, basically just to rewear stuff. And she started mm. this hashtag, which is like O O O T D instead of just O T D, um, which stands for Old Outfit of the Day, which okay, is quite nice. good. So instead of you know how influencers will do yes. an outfit of the day and it will be everything new, yeah, everything tagged, go right. and buy this. Hers is like an old top and Mm. some nice jeans that I've worn a hundred times. And you'll see the same jeans on her Instagram all the time. And I think that is just a more normal way Mm. to approach clothing. Um, Yeah. And I also with sustainable, the sustainable fashion thing has become a bit of a, like a brand in itself. Yeah. Um, And a lot of brands like Lucy and Yak or whatever um, kind of have profited off the hype. Yes. And then are now basically, I mean, obviously they are sustainable and that's great, but basically buying new clothes isn't Mm. very sustainable and it's not very um, like slow fashion friendly. Mm. So buying second hand is basically the best thing after the best thing, which is just wearing what you already have. (laughs) That is always the most sustainable option. (laughs) Just don't buy as many clothes. Um, Yeah. So thank you for those. Any thoughts about that? (laughs) You are a vintage lover.
0: Yes, I am. I mean, I have, I have a, I was about to say a complex relationship with this but that's putting <laughs> it bit strongly um, I think I have a slightly different position because I'm so interested in clothes mm-hmm. it's one of my hobbies almost so when you're saying that going to vintage and charity shops is a bit of a faff because you have to flick through all these racks of clothes I've had the experience on more than one occasion where I'm flicking through racks so like earnestly and with such a focus that people come up to me thinking I work there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because clearly it looks like I'm, like, sorting out the stock when actually I'm just hunting for, like, a cami that's in the perfect shade and cut or whatever. Um, so, and I think, I think obviously it's more important in a way for people who wouldn't usually buy secondhand to explore it as an avenue of consumer behaviour, um, And for me, it's so easy for me to kind of virtue signal about it because I am so into vintage clothes and charity shops, etc. So I could so easily, you know, flick my hair and just be (laughs) like, oh, well, yes, I hardly ever buy clothes from, you know, Topshop or whatever, Um, which isn't strictly true. But I mean, partly because of my funding situation, (laughs) (laughs) the bank account Um, and partly because of just my shopping habits. It's, what, we're 17th of September now Mm -hmm. and I haven't bought anything new. And I don't think I've bought anything new since a month ago, perhaps. And that would be, that last purchase was in a charity shop as well Oh my god! so excellent well it's yeah but that's what I mean is, when, when, yeah. I, when I say stuff like that it's like oh my god you're amazing <laughs> like, you're so noble and brave um but for me it isn't a massive effort so I don't think it should really be commended like that because yeah. I've just got into this habit and that's what I'm interested in and it's great that that fits in with this whole sustainable model but fundamentally I think it's more impressive um and a more honorable pursuit if people who wouldn't normally be doing that, try and see how it goes. Um, so thank you for all those recommendations. That's absolutely fantastic. Yay. So Jar, did you read anything good when you were on your holidays? I did. I read Zadie Smith's new collection of essays called Intimations, which are all basically about life during the pandemic and during lockdown. I think a lot of people have been reading them recently all the proceeds of the book goes to charity um so and it's a very slim um book and the essays are both they're very kind of punchy and to the point um I mean as you'd expect from Zadie Smith it's beautifully really sensitively written um a phrase that stood out to me was that she calls the pandemic the global humbling Mm. which I just thought was an excellent way of putting it because it has it's basically taken everyone down a peg or two in various yeah. ways um and she links she links her experiences of the pandemic out to a lot of different wider political issues so the first essay is a lot about the performance of gender um she talks about her sort of tentative hope that this experience will mean that america is more amenable to adopting universal healthcare than it has been Mm -hmm. in the past. Um, And as you'd expect from a writer and a teacher of creative writing, um, she also talks about writing as a job and a craft and being creative during a time when the outside pressures of society are kind of so intense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to read a little bit where she talks about that She says, writing is routinely described as creative. This has never struck me as the correct word. The part of the university in which I teach should properly be called the controlling experience department. Experience, mystifying, overwhelming, conscious, subconscious, rolls over everybody. We try to adapt, to learn, to accommodate, sometimes resisting, other times submitting to whatever confronts us. But writers go further. They take this largely shapeless bewilderment and pour it into a mould of their own devising. Writing is all resistance, which can be a handsome and sometimes even a useful activity on the page, but in my experience turns out to be a pretty hopeless practice for real life." Which I thought was fascinating because it encapsulated that feeling that I think a lot of people had in the past few months where you have to reach a level of acceptance Mm. when everyone is going through something so challenging at the same time, you want to be able to push back in some kind of way. But in fact, sometimes it is the better and more healthy path to just try and accept the difficulty of everything and kind of put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. As much as you can. Um, I mean, in general, it was an intriguing time to read it because it brought to the forefront of my mind loads of the thoughts and behaviors that everyone had during lockdown, which is only a few months ago now, but I'd completely forgotten about. So she talks about struggling to fill the time in a day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> which I remember
0: so vividly as a thing when you can't go outside that much and it can really feel like the walls are closing in and everything is quite claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, but also you can't really bring yourself to do any activity because the whole environment was so stressful and the news was absolutely mental, etc. Um, I think the most useful part of uh, the collection was her chapter about relative suffering, um, which she uses the meme of, I think you might have seen it. It's the meme of Mel Gibson in a director's chair and then Jesus... Is sitting next to him, but an actor playing Jesus is sitting next to him, covered in blood, and the caption is um, me explaining how hard lockdown has been to friends with young children. Oh, you, <laughs> you think your time has been tough, but like imagine if yeah. you had a two-year-old and a four-year-old running around, and you're trying to work, work as well yeah, etc. And your partner is trying to work, blah blah blah. Um, but her point about that was was very sensitively drawn I think which was basically that it's worth remembering the times when you feel like the equivalent of Jesus in that meme Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you feel like things can't get any worse because it means that you don't automatically dismiss other people in positions of privilege Mm -hmm. when they say a similar thing so she I mean the classic I remember is that everyone was saying you know I'm absolutely fine because I have a garden and I'm really lucky and etc which is true but doesn't really negate that it can still be very difficult for reasons that aren't necessarily tied to your economic privilege you know yeah um but I I was thinking about you when I was reading it because you had to like quarantine more recently than anyone
1: else yeah I had to do two weeks um self-isolating in July basically the middle of July because I like accidentally came into contact with someone with the virus um so yeah it was I in some ways, I think that period was worse than the actual lockdown mm. for me because, um, firstly, because everyone else was going out to yeah. the pub because that's when everything had reopened, and I did kind of feel like I was missing out, even though I wasn't really missing out. Mm. It was like one or two friend mm. events that I missed, and the other, um, the other reason, what, what was the other reason now that it was more difficult? <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't. Oh, it was because during actual lockdown I was trying to do my finals, so I had something oh, to course, do every day. Yeah. Whereas during in July, everything had happened, and yeah. I think that was actually when I was, was that when I was waiting to get my result? And mm. so it was just all like there was nothing to do in the day. Because that filling the time of the day, I did have but I was also always meant to be working in yeah. lockdown, so it was kind of like, just get back to work. Yeah. If I had to fill the time of day, it would be working. But yeah, when I had self-isolate, I watched a lot of TV.
0: Is that when you watched The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Yes. Nine <laughs> seasons.
1: <laughs> I've watched it all. <laughs> um, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, I can't complain because all mm. I was doing is sitting and watching TV, but it was boring. Yeah. And it does kind of get you down being in the house all day. Yes, exactly. Fun. Especially when everyone else, as
0: you say, can be doing stuff yeah. that they like. I have something slightly different this week. Um, a poem that I found in the Guardian's Poem of the Week um, section. It's called The Ancestors by Jackie Wills, Um, and I'll just read it now. The Ancestors are having a summit. They chase around the garden, disturbing hens. Silver birches shake, light shudders in the branches. The Ancestors try on dresses, delivered by the sentries they roam through like bandits. When they speak it's with the yellow eyes of a fox and clicks of an orca. They wrestle naked on the grass for the best shoes. Tomorrow they're having a banquet of possets and pears. They sit on the table, whistling happy birthday, promise to leave white dishes at your door. I just thought that was lovely. Yeah. And such a such a kind of cheeky and irreverent way to look at your history and your past. Because so often, I've yeah. I've had this with black and white pictures of like great great grandfathers or something. There's no way of yeah. looking at a picture and feeling an impression of that person's warmth or what they were like or what their mannerisms were. The things that they might have passed down to you in some mm. vague way. Um, and they always look so different to you now. Yes, stiff and awkward. Yeah, which is the nature of an old fashioned yeah, photo exactly. in a way. Um, but this was so full of life and it's, yeah, so full of. Um, fun really um and i thought at a time when a lot of people our age are age losing grandparents um yeah. especially during coronavirus which can be so difficult um i just thought it was a really nice way to think of the people who have passed on before you um you know licking plates clean and leaving them at your door and they're still yeah. present in your life um and there's a short bit of analysis that goes with the um poem and it's by Carol Rumans, um, which I just wanted to read. She says, their meal consisting of possets and pears is a bizarre mixture of the raw and the cooked. The narrator seems to be making fun of the way we humans view our ancestry, unavoidably interpreting it through a distorting modern cultural lens. The past we create for ourselves via our favourite family narratives is formed through an accumulation of happy misunderstandings, wishful fantasy an occasional fact which is just hits the nail on the head yeah. and it actually reminded me this is a very niche comparison but you know in mulan
1: <gasps> i was, re- I, was just, yeah, I was thinking the, movie, yeah. the ancestors yes because it's it's quite similar because yeah. they're
0: they're obviously at the beginning you see them enshrined in these very official kind of grand statue-like poses and mm-hmm. then they come to life as spirits and they're a lot more argumentative yeah. and
1: and they're really funny yeah and,
0: yeah fighting each other yes exactly and you can imagine it's a very similar impression in this poem of them rolling around the garden and having a really good time and just playing dress up and everything um so yes it just really stuck with me after i read it so i thought it would be a nice thing to share um and it made me think of another poem i'd read about uh losing elder relatives which is auntie maureen by the irish poet paul durkin um which I will also read now. A grain of sand, I am blown onto a clump of heather and I see a, a light large above me, a butterfly with black and orange stripes. It's Auntie Maureen, aged 94, smiling down upon me. And she is saying, While you are sleeping, Paul, I died. Isn't it the most glorious morning? Ah, <laughs> Which, yeah, again, it's just a really, I think it's very difficult to view death as a joyful event yeah. in any sense and I think both poems managed to do that without without taking away the more difficult side of, of I literally can't talk about people dying without crying it's so yeah. bad. <laughs> So it's that time in the podcast. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> I don't know why this comes up in every single episode. It wasn't really our intention. No, it wasn't meant to be a segment. But So this week, our sex topic is a podcast by The Cut, uh, which is part of New York magazine. And the episode is called The Joy of Sext. And it's about dick pics. So... They interview quite a lot of different writers on the car about their experiences with receiving and sending dick pics. And a lot of it is pretty entertaining, to be honest. One woman complains that she's really fed up of receiving poorly lit dick pics with toilets in the background, and so little thought has gone into them, and she's she hates it. And they establish that what distinguishes nudes from dick pics is completely dependent on the amount of time and effort you've put into the picture. So the lighting, the Mm. setting, the pose, etc. Which I thought was a very important distinction to make. Um, Because nudes can be art, but dick pics, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what my main takeaway from it, which I thought was fascinating, was that it raised some wider issues about when men feel sexy and why that makes it more difficult for them to take a sexy pick. Yeah. It's because they they establish that because men are so rarely seen as sexual objects in culture in general, it's much harder for them to to perform being sexy, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Whereas for women, like through advertising yeah. and, you know, like celebrity culture and music videos and everything, there's so many poses and behaviours and even like expressions that you can make like that is seen as being sexy yeah whereas for men there's hardly any
1: yeah it's so weird actually I asked um a male friend because I when I heard that Mm. I was really surprised and I thought like there must be a time when men like feel sexy in their day or whatever and he said he never feels sexy pretty much never yeah tragic don't you think because I I feel that there are so many points um just like just in normal life when mm. you feel a bit like, Oh yeah, I feel sexy today. Yeah. Like when you go on nights out with yeah. your
0: friends, getting dressed up, yeah. Um, doing your makeup. When you've had like that that good level of tipsiness where you look in the mirror and you're like, Wow a
1: hundred percent the best. <laughs> yeah, just so many I feel there's so many times when, when women do yeah feel sexy. And Maybe there's just not that opportunity for men. I'd never yeah. really thought about this before. I'd
0: love to read a survey about that. About yeah. About like when, when... When do you feel sexy. sexy? Yeah, and if it's different for people who have different sexualities, like maybe True. straight men feel... Maybe gay men... It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. But I have no idea. Um, and once we were speaking about this podcast... You mentioned something absolutely <laughs> shocking that I can't wait to hear about. Yes, yeah, so uh, hold the phone, guys. Yeah, buckle up.
1: <laughs> my mum was recently sent a dick.
0: <laughs> can't believe this. Yeah, so
1: so basically, she it was a- actually ties into our, our last um, topic, which was selling selling your clothes on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, she was selling something on Facebook Marketplace, mm-hmm. and it actually happened to be one of my skirts. It was like a, just a red. I don't know, denim mini-ish skirt. Mm -hmm. And so she listed it on Facebook Marketplace and got, um, somebody messaged her, like Mm -hmm. a random guy, um, and said, is this skirt available? And she initially responded, yeah, because she just saw someone had messaged. And then she realised it was a man and was kind of like, eh, that's a bit weird. Why does he want to buy this girl's skirt? Um, So then she said, oh, it's no longer available. right? And then he just sent her (gasps) a dick pic with no no context no no context no comment no nothing just a pic of a dick and what was the fallout from that um she she was like scarred she was was so funny i remember coming home and she had this really weird expression on her face. she found it really funny she wasn't like traumatized and, and sad but yeah she. It is a bit of a shock, so, I mean, she was so surprised when she opened it, and yeah. yeah, also, I mean, you probably don't want to know, but it was a gigantic piece. Oh my! God. I think it was. <laughs> she said. She said to me, she was like, "It's huge," and I was like, Mum, don't." <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it was re- I don't think it was. I-, I don't know if I could say it wasn't real, but I don't think it was that man's piece. I see. I think okay. it was either digitally enhanced, <laughs> or not, like on the phone, or. Like a porn star or something. But it was it was a traditional... It wasn't like a well-lit, great nude. Okay. It was just a dick and a floor the bu- kind oh, of vibe.
0: Okay, the tra- yeah, the traditional. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, that kind of has aggressive overtones, I feel. Yeah. As in like, why aren't you sending me this skirt? I just have a
1: pick of my dick. Yeah. Yeah, she was really struggled to understand it. She was like, what, was he turned on by the skirt? Yeah. Like, it's just really, really No, odd.
0: but I think that's less to do with anything sexual and more yeah. to do with just like i'm yeah. gonna offend you you're a by... woman on the internet yeah have a
1: pick of this facebook dip. marketplace yeah. come on yeah it's really bizarre <laughs> it wasn't even like not even a dating app not even it was just facebook marketplace <laughs> watch out <laughs> be vigilant guys and tell your mums um <laughs> to be aware of the dick pic <laughs> can happen to us all
0: now it's time for nice nuggets of news a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by right what nuggets have you got for me today connie uh so this week i saw um actually it's a little bit of an old story but just
1: just coming back up there mm. that um in 2017 a collection of love letters sent during world war ii was discovered to have been written by two male soldiers uh Gilbert Bradley and his lover Gordon Boucher. Really cute. <gasps> Gilbert so, and Gordon. Yeah, they're like little um love letters between two gay soldiers. Um obviously at the time um being gay was illegal and it was not until the Sexual Offences Act in 1967 that consenting men were allowed to have gay relationships. So mm. everything had to be kept very secret and mm. so they just used their initials. So it's only been recently that people discovered that the letters were written by two men um they were really sweet like an excerpt is um one of them mo- wrote the rest of the world have no conception of what our love is they do not know that it is love um and they were signed like all my love forever Aww, gee how sweet yeah. um yeah and then that now they're in the oswestry museum in shropshire if you want to mm. go see them and they might be made into a book um yeah, and most poignantly one of the letters has the phrase, Wouldn't it be wonderful if all our letters could be published in the future in a more enlightened time, then all the world could see how in love we are.
0: Oh Cute. isn't that nice? Yeah. And so nice that they could see a possibility of that in the future.
1: Yeah, and that they were happy they managed to be happy together, um Despite, even though it was illegal.
0: Yeah, the pressures that they must have Heard. To be honest, i'd love to watch a film based on that, because that be I feel like opinion, yeah. the niche of war films, people love war films, mm. but they 're so often pretty much just the same storyline, yeah, just running through yeah, running through barbed wire, yeah which you know is fair sure enough do. but <laughs>
1: realistic realistic yeah
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but to read a gay love story set in World war was it World war one I, or World war I war think II? it was World War II World War Two. yeah that'd be excellent i'd really enjoy that.
1: So, what are your little
0: nugs? Well, I have quite a chilly nug for you today, um, which is the story of Joseph Kerbel, who beat his own record for being submerged in a box of ice cubes. Whoa. Yeah, he spent over two and a half hours in the box, wearing only swim shorts. Two and a half
1: hours? Yeah, I know.
0: Can you imagine? Submerged, so with the ice cubes up to his neck. neck. (gasps) Yeah, so his head is above the kind of horizon of ice cubes i mean obviously it sounds horrific but the uplifting angle is that despite the wave of pain his words not mine (laughs) um he said he could get through it by focusing on positive emotions oh
1: how sweet is that
0: So, you know, just think optimistic thoughts and...
1: You can get through anything. Yeah,
0: and there's a really nice picture of him after he's come out of the box of ice cubes where he's having an ice cream in the sun.
1: Aww. Which is
0: reassuring because it shows that, you know, he's not completely averse to all cold things. He's not scarred. Yeah, so that's brilliant for him. So congratulations, Joseph Kerbel. I was also sent a study um, that said... 70% Seventy percent of sixteen to twenty-four year olds, i.e., Gen Z, look to learn something from video content. So when they stream stuff online, they're not just doing it for entertainment. They, like, are wanting to learn a new skill. Oh, very um, interesting. And it compares to one in five of that age group stream just for entertainment. So, I mean, that's a lot lower than I was expecting. Yeah. And I think it was based. It was based on. Um, like the past few months, so it it found that a third of people in in this survey said they'd made money from a new skill they'd learned by watching videos online, mm. which I found crazy and a little bit scary. I mean, obviously it's great, which was why it's a nice nug. But I found it a bit scary because like my YouTube recommendations are like not useful yeah. in any <laughs> in any sphere. They're like music videos interviews with celebrities there's no like how to make a bag out of a towel or anything I don't know (laughs) that
1: would be a cool skill yeah Yeah, I do think maybe during lockdown everyone was a bit bored and wanted to learn maybe a new craft or how to cook or something I think people Mm. did want to make the most out of Mm. the free time so it could be if it was a recent, it was a recent survey, yeah. wasn't it? It could just be like resulting from lockdown. But maybe these youngsters, these gen fellow Gen Zers, mm. just very enterprising.
0: Yeah. Well, I th- apparently that is a a characteristic that's coming through entrepreneurial. Really. Um, although obviously, uh, time will tell. I guess mm. because it's such a young age bracket. Um, it reminded oh. me of a article I read a few. Um, I think it was last year, twenty nineteen, on man repeller which is now just repeller um it's had a revamp called the modern trap of turning hobbies into hustles it's by molly conway um and it sort of explores the other side of what the survey is exploring um because she talks about how she knows people who have had a hobby that they're really good at and they really enjoy and they feel a pressure to monetize it and capitalize on it as some kind of asset um and how that can basically just really sap your free time because you feel like every moment of your life should be yeah yeah, exactly um which i don't think is the case for people in our age bracket i think she was talking about people who are slightly older um but it did make me think about this whole attitude to streaming that we're now not just in like a netflix and chill phase of consuming content we're Mm. now in a like no i need to improve myself um well, I mean, we personally aren't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I <laughs> But yeah, clearly, yeah, but in the general... rest generation. Mm.
0: Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in
1: detail about the wild, wild world of celebrities.
0: I want to kick off with a tweet I saw because I've only recently joined Twitter. So, in fact, this might be a very regular occurrence, and I've just it's just on my radar now. Mm. Um, but Cher <laughs> tweeted on the seventh of September, and this is a verbatim quote: "I wish Trump every moment of suffering he's brought our country, every moment of pain he's caused our people." And for every vet he's called stupid or a loser, may he never draw an easy breath. May their parents, siblings, spouses, children haunt his every worthless, empty, cowardice breath. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was phenomenally powerful.
1: It's really, yeah, it's really something. It's like, like a
0: curse. <laughs> yeah. It's strong. Yes. That is quite a lot to wish on somebody. I know. And also, the capitalisation really hits home. A lot of it is capitalised. Yeah, the punctuation is a bit um,
1: haphazard. Yes. I'd say as well. Yeah. Uh, so odd things are capitalised. Trump isn't. But mm. then moment, brought country. Yeah, maybe there's some analysis oh. to be made there. Yeah, maybe you make there a connection. is can I think I don't think it's a coincidence that he isn't
0: capitalised. Yeah. It shows her clear disdain mm. for him. is absolutely spellbinding. It was like it's a spell. I would believe Mm. if Cher was, like, queen of the magical realm. Yeah, and this is, like, some black magic. Yes. She's cursing upon him. (laughs) So
1: today we're going to talk a bit about Emily Ratajkowski's article in The Cut, which is called Buying Myself Back, When Does a Model Own Her Own Image? Um, The piece is really interesting, very well written um, and throws up some quite kind of unthought of ideas that um, I'd never, well personally I'd never thought of, um, about like modelling industry. So um, she goes through basically three examples of times at which she hasn't had ownership of images Mm. of her. So one is um, an image that the paparazzi took when she was walking down the street with flowers covering her face that she posted on Instagram story for which she was sued for $150,000 in damages. Um, Another example was when an artist Richard Prince painted some photos from her personal Instagram um, and then sold them and she and her boyfriend had to like go halves in buying one of the uh, paintings and the third example was a, an editorial shoot that she'd done when she was, I think, either 19 or 20 years old. Yeah, very young. Um, with Jonathan Leader, a photographer. Um, she wasn't paid for the shoot at all. Uh, she was never even reimbursed for the travel costs. Mm. Um, and he took photos of her that he then kept for years and published uh, recently, many years later, in a book called Emily Ratajkowski. Um, and then the pictures were displayed in a gallery. Mm. So, yeah, the premise of the article is really interesting. It kind of um, talks about the ownership of images and the relationship uh, between, like, an artist, the muse or the model, mm. and their body
0: and how it's, like, represented. And, mm. yeah, very interesting. And she she obviously talks about being sexually assaulted by... Yes. ...Jonathan, leader the photographer, during the shoot. Um, the first example... So I, I also listened to the accompanying podcast by The Cut... Um, where Emily Ratajkowski is interviewed about her essay. Um, And when she starts talking about the picture with the vase of flowers covering her face, um, it's intriguing because she is very... She's quite balanced and sanguine about the fact that her relationship with the paparazzi, in some ways, it's really good for her career. Mm -hmm. The example she uses is that if they get a picture of her when she's walking her dog and she's in like a really cute outfit she might get like an article in Vogue about her street style and then that boosts her profile and it's like good for bookings. Um, But also it's obviously really difficult to be walking around the whole time and paparazzi like hounding you. And her with the vase of flowers in front of her face was she posted it to her Instagram story basically to make the point that like she's trying to hide from them sometimes and they're always there which makes the whole suing case um, kind of horribly ironic in a way. Also, have you seen his his response
1: oh, to yeah. the article,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Jonathan Leader's response? Yeah, yeah, because obviously he's been pretty, pretty defa- like defamed. Yeah. I don't know. He's been called out for mm. basically being a bit of a rapist and for being for posting like anyway, profiting off these images that she doesn't want out there, Mm. he wrote um, as a response to her article this is the girl that was naked in Treats magazine and bounced around naked in the Robin Thicke video at that time. You really want someone to believe she was a victim? Oh my god. Honestly, is that not just just classic um, victim blaming and like slut shaming. Um,
0: But what's so shocking about that is that that shows such a lack of awareness of how, of like the cultural point that we're at now But he thinks that's like a valid excuse or a valid point to make is I just don't understand what like what environment you're coming from because you just must have no idea about the general attitude to that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just so
1: different like posing posing in one magazine or in a video where you see the shots and you're happy with it and you get paid you get paid. Yeah. Um, it's so different to somebody taking pictures you don't get paid then they publish them with your name on over yeah. them use your profile to basically yeah. boost their profile mm. and then you don't profit from any of it mm. and it's like naked intimate pictures of her mm. it's just well and also you have to undergo
0: sexual assault for, yeah, right, to, for that and to then even the memory
1: of that is like tinged in the photos yeah.
0: just gross. although I have to say I feel really conflicted and quite guilty about this but as as a celebrity figure, my attitude towards her, I would say, was quite hostile because of the blurred lines video mm-hmm. that she appeared in, which she's always defended as a decision sort of along the same lines that she speaks about in this piece that she was paid for it and she felt safe on the shoot and it was a lot of fun and you know she had a good time doing it, mm-hmm. which is completely fair enough. But I do you remember for our when we left school for our like leavers do. I they played blurred lines and I remember like marching up to the DJ and absolute outrage oh, really? being like, "Can you turn this off? Like, what's wrong with you?" Um, it was a big thing. I was playing it was yeah, all the time on
1: the radio. Yeah, but the day. lyrics
0: are like, they're really horrible. ridiculous. Just and so, so I felt bad because I I did have a negative attitude towards her because of yeah her appearance in that video. It's, it's such a demeaning video yeah. as well,
1: like. It's just gross. Yeah,
0: the whole thing. But it just this really throws up how, even though we might see that, and she's so obviously like a sexual object, mm-hmm. she she clearly didn't fit. Like she felt that she had so much more autonomy in that video yeah. than she did around the same time when when she was doing these pictures with Jonathan Leader. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a really conflicting issue. Definitely. Um, and the best part of the podcast, I thought where she was speaking about it, was she's asked what lessons there are to be gained from her experience and her talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and her response is that she, up to this point, she's been really aware that we're living in a patriarchal society and her attitude had been that she was just going to capitalise on her body to make money and yeah. be a success, which is fair enough in many ways. I mean, she's won the genetic lottery. So, you know.
1: She's, yeah. She's yeah. pretty good looking. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um so yeah you might as well but she said that this had slightly altered her viewpoint because she's now realized that as a woman there's only so much control you can have and once you hit that limit like there's nothing you can do about it which is what she had in the experiences Mm -hmm. that she's writing about here um and her quote at the end was that you carve out control where you can find it and that she feels that there's powers in there's a power in telling her story even if the truths in it are really inconvenient um so yeah i mean it's really blown up everyone's talking about it yeah quite rightly um and i think i think it's excellent that they've chosen to to run with that essay and it's apparently one of a collection that she's got coming out yeah so i'd be interested to read others when um they become available so Jar, have you seen
1: the tragic news <laughs> that Keeping Up With Our Kardashians has been
0: cancelled? Yes, of course. Of course, I've seen this. It's been all over. I was about to say the news, but obviously it's just the news outlets that we follow. Um, yeah, ending in 2021 after 20 seasons. It's been in our lives for so long. It's just, it's,
1: it's the end of an era. Yeah, it is
0: the end <laughs> of an era. Although I find it really interesting because I think there's loads of think pieces that are trying to tie like this arc in with wider trends, which is completely fair enough and should be done. Um, I want to read a tweet from Elizabeth Day who hosts the How to Fail podcast. Um, She said, before we all rush to criticise, condemn and mock the Kardashians, it's worth remembering the many necessary issues their hit TV programme brought into primetime focus. And then she lists a few. Number one, infertility and surrogacy. Number two, Transgender Lives with Caitlyn Jenner. Number three, Criminal Justice Reform, because famously Kim Kardashian is training to become a lawyer. Oh, yeah. um, number four, Mental Health and Bipolar Disorder through Kanye West. Number five, Infidelity. Countless scandals about that. <laughs> number six, Sibling Relationships. Number seven, Co-Parenting Post-Divorce. Um and then a joke one, which is how to text with ridiculously long acrylic nails, which <laughs> arguably is a very widespread issue. So fair yeah. enough. Um, but yeah, I've seen quite a few things like that where it's it's pushing to link the quite like trivial nature of the show yeah. with more important things. Although I also think it's worth pointing out, as Hadley Freeman did in The Guardian when she was writing about it, that when they do bring issues like that into the into the public focus it's often by accident mm. like they're not <laughs> they're yeah. not really pushing like to really raise awareness about transgender people in general it just happens to be yeah, that happens, Caitlin Jenner yeah. is, is transgender and then <laughs> and then it is spoken about on the show yeah and that's great but I think you need to distinguish between the impact they have that's deliberate, and then the impact they have that is kind of a side effect of their just mega fame.
1: Yeah, basically, mm. I agree.
0: Um,
1: yeah, and that the bit in that same article um, about things like black fishing, which yes. has now become um, like just widespread issues, mm. um, a lot of it like they're at the forefront, like she says, but then also, is that just because they're super famous, like? Mm. Like, is does it become an issue because they're doing it, kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But. Yeah, well,
0: look, they have a trickle down effect, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: and then other people get called yeah
0: out for it. Yeah, so again, it's distinguishing between um the issues that they bring to the mainstream because they're existing problems yeah. that they just reveal, and then the problems that they kind of have a hand in making a lot worse. Yeah, because <laughs> they make it fashionable. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting that they've sort of chosen to end it now because. It's clearly because they they're so mega successful and rich, yeah. like they really finesse the whole oh, social yeah. media game, and but I wonder after this what they, what their niche will be other than mm, social what are they media, do? Yeah. yeah, because keeping up the Kardashians was was what made us feel like we had an in into their lives, yeah,
1: and that's why they had social media following, yeah, exactly, so liked them on the show yeah and
0: like the drama that it produced and yeah all of their different relationships and was fascinating and if you don't have that you know quotes insider angle
1: yeah the personal
0: what Mm. distinguishes them from so many other
1: celebrities i don't know are are people going to keep buying skims and kylie lip kits Mm. if they don't get that inside scoop? maybe they'll just like have to do more social media yeah maybe more stories and snapchat where you get to see their everyday life but I think we're gonna miss keeping up yeah so sad rop
0: and now on to Wack or woke where we re-watch pre-2010 tv series and films and see how they hold up from a gen z perspective
1: So this week we watched an episode of Friends. This is series nine, episode six, the one with the male nanny.
0: Yeah, so it's the one where Ross and Rachel are hiring a new nanny for their baby Emma and it turns out to be Sandy who is unexpectedly a man and he's very qualified and really sensitive um, and cries quite a lot and Ross has issues with that. Um, And there's another storyline where Monica starts working at a new place and calls a colleague at work the funniest man she's ever met, which makes Chandler really insecure. So those are the kind of two plot lines that we're working with here. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the most obvious thing is that Ross has an issue with Sandy, like essentially not being masculine enough. Yeah, because Yeah, he asked in their kind of nanny interview, when Sandy shows that he's like quite sensitive and cries a bit, ross asks him if he's gay yeah that's something i don't think would pass the bar now yeah and he's he's like you've got to be at least bi yeah and that's a massive laugh from the audience it's so interesting isn't it that that's well you think of it as not that long ago and still
1: yeah bit of a crazy attitude Mm. (laughs) attitude there um and they all can't really believe that he's a man like even joey Mm. um there's this whole um kind of joke that Ross is like, oh, a man being a nanny is like a woman being a, and then kind of can't fill in the blank. (laughs) Rachel's like, a woman being a what? And then when Joey says it again, Monica's like, a woman being a what? Yeah, yeah. And the only thing Joey can come up with is penis model,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is fair enough. I mean, he does well there. Yeah, Um, Um, but I thought that was a fascinating aspect of it that there's a real gender divide because the blokes think that you could never have a nanny who's a guy yeah but when the same information is relayed to the women monica doesn't think it's weird yes yeah, rachel doesn't think. doesn't think it's weird yeah rachel so it's awesome. yeah it's so obviously a masculine issue um but then at the end it mm-hmm. turns out that actually it's far more woke than we realize because ross essentially can't deal with sandy um being their nanny so decides to let him go and Sandy asks why he thinks, why Ross is so uncomfortable with his sensitivity. And then Ross essentially breaks down and they have like a mini counselling session about yeah. how Ross's dad used to say he wasn't like a real boy and all of this stuff. So it's actually like very openly about insecurities over masculinity. Um, but this the other plot that's ongoing about... Chandra being mm-hmm. kind yeah. of sensitive about the fact that Monica thinks someone else is funnier than him. I thought well, tied in quite well. Because yeah. it's it was exploring how, you know, because he never he never vocalizes that to her. Yeah. It's that his it's his male friends, Joey and Ross, who sort of interpret his reaction and then Yeah, and what Monica's done. Yeah. Like saying someone else is funnier. Yeah. They
1: instantly realise that that's why he's insecure and that yeah. would make him insecure.
0: So I thought that was I don't know. That was, again, another side to it that there are all these sort of masculine codes that aren't picked up by the women and then there are also these opinions that the women have about Sandy that aren't shared by the men. Yeah. So it highlighted, uh, which I, I didn't recognise at the time when I first watched Friends, but i now thinking about it, It's a huge thing. Even though they're also close as a group, there's always a massive line between the yeah, men the and the women the in the friendship group. Um, so... Yeah. I don't know where does it come on the barometer of whack to woke, do you think? I think
1: unexpectedly a bit more woke yeah. than we
0: thought. Yeah. Um waking yeah. up in the morning kind of woke. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. just opening the eyes. Yeah. Fresh. Mm. Mm. That's it for this week. We have now launched on social media, so please follow us at from A to Gen Z on Instagram. From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jale on Facebook and at From A to Gen Z pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen
1: Z.